0: our DT systems baby dog tested and dog tough we've got those soft mouth dummies now listen everybody knows that we need more bumpers I'm not talking about one or two or three I'm talking about adding bumpers to your repertoire I like using white or black and white bumpers when I'm training my dogs for marks and even blinds you can get the orange ones I dig it but add a bunch to your repertoire and I'm again I'm not talking about three to six if you're working on T pattern if you're working on blinds and pattern blinds you need a bunch a dozen 18 the soft mouth dummies by dt can't be beat check them out lone duck outfitters.com dt difference let's go all right baby gunner kennels man one of the things that i love about gunner kennels is they're thinking about our older hunting buddies old buck he hangs out in a gunner kennel when he goes to and fro and in his we've got the ortho pad he's got the old joints and even if your dog's not old like buck you just want a little bit of added protection as you're rolling down the road to keep that dog from bouncing around a little bit so the ortho pad super huge if you got a younger dog that may dig a little bit maybe chew a little bit that performance pad is going to be clutch as well so check it out it's the full kit brought to you by gunner kennels always innovating our industry and always keeping your dog safe sliding The DMs. If you'd like to learn more about getting you and your dog into a gunner kennel, force fetch. What is it? It's super intimidating to so many people. Yet it's not that difficult. I built a step-by-step process that helps you understand it, you and your dog can be successful in it, and it takes the intimidation away of the process so that you and your dog can get to your goals. That's what it's built for. Let me teach you how I do it so that you and your dog can do it. Different breeds, different personalities, problem solving, and more. Check it out. Links in the description. The Force Fetch Course. Baby.
1: Welcome to another edition of the Lone Duck Gun Dog Chronicles with Hudson River Retrievers. This is Blaine Tarnecki with Bob Owens and Kevin Owens on the side. <laughs> Welcome you to our next edition. The Cow. My- yeah, I'm not gonna do the sound, but we're here ready to talk dogs, fishing, life, everything in general. Um, I've had a lot of emails and texts wanting Bob and Kevin to be on my podcast. So here we are tonight. <laughs> it's a great night. We'd like to thank first and foremost, though, our sponsors that are taking care of helping us out with this, keeping it running and, and paying the bills. Yukonuba, the best food you can feed to all your dogs, man. It's great food. Uh, we've been feeding it for a couple years now. I know Bob has, doing great stuff, um, always trying to do better and come up with new formulas, but we love our Yukonuba. So Eucanuba Sporting Dogs, hashtag, uh, we love it. Dogtra, Dogtra Collars, uh, nothing better. Dogtra Edge RT is what we run every day on our dogs, 30 to 35 dogs a day every day. We run those Dogtras, they last all week. Uh, handle the pounding uh, great collars great remote receivers for your wingers everything bark collars they have all the stuff talk to me or bob we'll get you hooked up with some doctor uh, electronics and last but not least gunner kennels if you want your dog to be safe on your next hunting trip or your next hunt fest or your next road trip put them in a gunner uh, the best there is no questions. Nothing even comes close to a gunner kennel. We love our gunner. So uh, without further ado, let's get started, boys.
0: <laughs> I love
2: it, dude. Is that you good enough?
0: You crushed is that good it. Enough? No, that was real good. The only thing you didn't do is say Eukanuba, baby. Baby. Atta boy. All right, so we have to uh, introduce a new podcast sponsor that the Pterodactyl has not heard of yet, but we are now working with Kent Cartridge. Yeah, yeah buddy. Baby. Oh, we're going to be shooting that bismuth this winter. So, they have
1: 28 gates. Send me some 28
0: gates. I, I need a case. Okay, I'll get you. Uh, uh, we'll make dreams come true since you are the new host of Lone Ducks, Gun Dog Chronicles. <laughs> so we're really excited for this partnership. They have been following along on what we've been doing on social media, providing you guys with... Content and entertainment and they wanna they wanna get in on on the lone D. So we are going to be shooting Kent at Clay Birds and we're gonna get ready for duck season shooting clay birds and we're gonna be shooting that Bismuth uh Bismuth, I think is how it's spelled. Right? B-I-S-M-U-T-H. And yes. Bismuth. Bismuth. And I'm super excited. There's a lot of pump up around this business. So we're gonna give it a whirl. But anyways, big thank you to Kent for believing in us and joining the team. And uh, it's going to be a good year shooting that bismuth, baby. Last up, Waypoint Outdoor Collective. Shout out to them. Check them out on Instagram, Waypoint Outdoor Collective. All right, Pterodactyl, enough of that shenanigans. Let's get into the show, bud. It's your show tonight. Tell Kevin you've been, your life, it's so good. It's so good. Stripers.
2: What have you been up to since our last show? That I mean, been it's been six be months, on. I bet you. No. Yeah. What?
0: It's, it's July. While, I was at his house in February and March. Uh, it's Damn. been a while. Blaine, how was your summer?
1: Man, it's been busy. It's been good. Today's been a little hectic. A lot of people think dog trainers just play with dogs all day and go home and and relax, but it's not been that way today, and it's not usually that way, but... Uh, it's life. We got dog training to do and then we have, you know, normal life to take care of and that's what I've been doing today. Been doing a little fishing. We try to take off every Monday morning till twelve o'clock to go fishing. And so right now the striper have been hot on Lake Lanier. So anybody from Georgia or the southeast that's looking for striper advice, man, they are biting really, really well. We've had a good time, um, catching a bunch of stripers on Monday mornings, going to work at twelve on Monday and just cranking it out till, uh, till dark, but whenever we're done,
2: Blaine, um, are you a, are you a catch and release striper guy?
1: I am a catch and release
2: into the grease, brother. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I, like that. I like that. How do you cook them? Other than do you deep fry? Blaine,
1: no. All right. I've got a, a confession to make about four months ago. I realized I was a little overweight, <laughs> and so we've been doing a little work on that, and so there's been no fried food through the last, I don't know, 12, 14 weeks of this journey, but there's lots of different ways to cook them. We bake them, um, we grill them, uh, lots, of, lots of good recipes that we can share some other time. But, um, no, we, you're only allowed to keep two over 22 inches in Georgia. And so most of what we've been catching lately has been between 26 and 35 inches. So Holy
2: Jesus, that's a yeah fish.
1: we've been keep, yeah we've been keeping two a trip and you catch them in really, really deep water right now. and so 100 plus deep water, 100 foot plus deep. and so by the time you get them up, sometimes they just don't make it. so you know we, we keep we keep a couple that we catch that are over that limit and hope to catch some small ones but haven't really caught any small ones lately. so we've been releasing a lot of fish.
0: It's a good problem to be in to just be catching yeah, big yeah. dogs.
1: Yeah, man. It's been fun. I think we caught – I think we brought in 11 out of 14 hookups last Monday morning. Um, and so, it's been, been fun, man. I mean, you're catching them on really light line. Our leaders are 8-pound or 6-pound test. And so, you have to really be careful with them. Um, they're very finicky this time of year. The water's really clear. And so you got to have, you know, you just, they can't see the hook, the line. We're using really small number one circle hooks, And so all they're seeing is the bait. We're using blueback herring that are between four and six inches long. uh, And, you know, really light lines, light leaders, light small hooks and finessing them up. But it's been fun, man. Been really good, good fishing this summer.
0: Man, I really like those uh, four to six inch herrings. I like the, I prefer the greenbacks versus the bluebacks, but those are just delicious.
1: Well, I'm not sure that's even a thing. But
0: <laughs> well, you can see how good. <laughs> Me either. But you balanced. literally could have just made up everything you just said, and I would have no idea. Damn, it sounds like wow, that sounds like, he's so knowledgeable about herring. Well, that's why it's my podcast. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Since it's your podcast, uh, where are we go next. I, I know where to go next. I'm excited to talk about it's not this your show. Oh, you're right, but I want to talk yeah. about the Super Retriever series, Bud, that you're hosting.
1: Well, let's talk about that in a minute.
0: Okay, you take me where you want to go. You're driving. Oh, man. The show. I
1: mean, we've been busy. We went to Pennsylvania what, three weekends ago. we an HRC test. Uh, great time up there. High flyers HRC. If you're in the Northeast, Shut up. um, and looking. For looking for another club and, uh, I mean, way up North Pennsylvania. I think we were 20 minutes from Lake Erie, fun times, good people, very friendly, good test. Uh, we took 12 dogs up there. 12 is the max you can take an HRC test. And I think we had, I don't know. I think we had seven finished dogs and five season dogs and everybody passed those days. We had good, you know, good trip up there. We came home. We went to Music City HRC and ran. I think nine dogs and finished, and three dogs and seasons. And we had a little seasoned dog, little bonding the American Water Spaniel. She broke on Saturday, and so I didn't even run her Sunday. And maybe that's a good discussion to have on why I didn't run her. But um, she came out Sunday morning and. I could not even get the dog to the holding line, you know, under control. And I, I told the judges I was not running the dog. We're going to scratch her and I'm not going to let her pick up bad habits. She's a very, very talented dog. Um, no matter what the breed, she's a really good dog. But uh, we did really good in the season and finished. We had really exciting stuff for Hudson River Retrievers. We had five puppies that we bred.
2: Um, under two years
1: old, running finished and all pass. And so that was really cool to see that. Uh, Buck Power, getting it done in in Music City, and so we did that. And then we came home Sunday around midnight and trained Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then Thursday left for Sylvania, Georgia, very far southeast Georgia from here, um, and ran a master test for Jacksonville Retriever Club and um, did real well there, took, I think we took 12 dogs and passed nine um, at, at that master test. And so it's been a good time, but been really busy. Would rather be fishing some days, but uh, doing what we do.
0: Good for you. So, yeah, yeah I dig it. Let's get into uh, talking about Bonnie, the American water spaniel. Bonnie. Bonnie. Yeah. Tell me about that because I, I feel it. All
1: right. So I've trained several American water spaniels. And typically, they're pretty low-key dogs. They're very good hunting dogs. They're very good dogs naturally. They're good hunters naturally. But what I found out over the years is that they're kind of particular about doing things the way we want them done. And so they sort of, you know, get a little bit flaky and shut down on us sometimes and just don't act like we want them to every day in training. And so I got Bonnie in for training and my young dog guy, Brent Poston over in Lexington, South Carolina, uh, Hudson River East, um, started this young dog. And said, man, this dog's got a lot of fire and, and really good attitude. And I hate to say it, but I had that, you know, that feeling in my head, was well, this is just another American water spaniel.
0: Yeah, a little it's skepticism.
1: Gonna a, yeah, it's going to be a pain, man. And the dog got here. And she is a ball of fire. I mean, she is. She's got as much energy and work ethic and drive as any lab we've got. Ton, yep. Fun, fun off the train.
0: I was she's, there when you got her.
1: Yeah, yeah. She's. I mean, she's crazy. Yep. But really doing well. She got a couple season passes, and then, like I said, she broke on Saturday at Music City on a water test. And then Sunday we didn't run her. I doubt you'll see Bonnie at another hunt test until she's ready to run master. Her owners understand the game and understand that letting a young dog run too many tests early on is not always the best thing. And so when I pulled her from that test, they were fully supportive, you know, good with everything and and said, well, we trust you. When you think she's ready to run, we'll run her. So, um, we're going to train some more. We're going to calm her down a little bit and, you know, keep working. She's doing finished and master level work in training every day. Um, but she's just, you know, she's a little high strung. She needs to calm down and, and grow up a little bit. Yeah, she's she's a puppy. Well, she, How old is she? Know, I think she's maybe 15 months old now.
0: Yeah, that's young, young, yeah. young. young.
1: Yeah. yeah, she loves water, loves ducks, loves everything. And, you know, a fairly good marker. And so, she's going to be a special water spaniel. Um, how many,
0: yeah, you know off the top of your head, how many American water spaniels are master hunters, and then how many are female?
1: I think there's one water spaniel that's master hunter, and that's Bonnie's mom. Nope. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, no. and I'm not positive on that. Now, there was a water spaniel that made it, Gosh, I want to say he's got a grand pass, but I'm not positive about that. But I know he went to the grand and he passed several series. He may have one grand pass. I don't think he's still alive. There just hasn't been a lot. Water Spaniels are are a little bit different. Most of the people that buy Water Spaniels are in the upper Midwest. They're very good, cold-weather dogs. They have a really good, thick double coat, and, you know, they're – they're just a, a midwestern hunting dog not a lot of them run hunt tests i have the privilege to have david and lois mccracken his clients and they are a uh, huge just support of the water spaniels they breed them um they've been you know dealing with water spaniels for years david owns gumbo the highest point hrc water spaniel ever i think we got Gosh, I think we got close to 1,600 HRC points on him before he passed away last year. He's just an exceptional dog. He never ran the grand, probably could have, but, you know, never did that. But he was a good dog. Um, and Bonnie is just, she's kind of a lab in a water spaniel body.
0: I was going to say her attitude is that of a Labrador. I mean, she's got yeah. a big attitude, big confidence, yeah. throw me another one, don't. Tell no, me
1: to stop. Yeah. Every day she jumps out of the trailer, ready to work. She's she fun. She bounces around in training and wants to work and wants to go get stuck. Uh, we love training her. She, she is someone to watch in the next couple of years. She's going to be special. She'll definitely be a master hunter, HRCH, and we are going to do our damnedest to get her in the master nationals and pass the master national order.
0: Mm, that'd be sexy, bud.
1: Yeah, man, it'd be cool. So, be so you know, cool. we, her, we got her. We got a bunch of little buck puppies running around that are really killing it right now. Uh, I think Buck will probably be the number one HRCH boy can stud dog within the next year with all of his puppies running around getting titles. So, we've got a, like, I think we've got five buck puppies right now that need just two more passes out of HRCH titles. And so that's going to bump him up. You know, really pretty close to the top, you know, ever. And so that's pretty cool to have a dog that's produced that many good puppies, no matter who the bitch is. Another exciting thing, our old dog, Gracie, our black lab, she is, she's eight years old now, maybe nine. I'm bad with with dog birthday, Uh, even my own. But she's getting up there. She's run a lot of tests and a lot of trials and um, she's got grand puppies now that are getting ma- master titles. Yes, sir. It's really cool. This past weekend at, at Jacksonville Retriever Club, Gracie passed the master test. Uh, her son that passed master national last year passed the master test. And a granddaughter of her also passed the master test. So, That's um three, three generations of Gracie pups passed the master test. Um, very, very cool. She's still intact, and I don't want to breed her again, but she's producing great puppies. You know, her first litter, I think she had 11 puppies. Out of those 11 puppies, 10 of them are HRCH, and six of them are Master Hunters, and a couple of them qualifying places. And so they've been, you know, she's produced some really nice dogs. And then her next litter only had five puppies but i've got two of them in training and you know they're both killing it one of them is my dog kenny and he's ready to run qualifiers and we'll be running qualifiers this you know this fall um there's four or five that we're going to run in south carolina and south georgia uh in november and december with little kenny who missed his derby career because of the um and so he didn't get to do that and claire uh, who is running master and finish now. She missed her derby career as well. And so, you know, times are a little bit weird lately, but uh, Gracie puppies are still running strong. Two of them went to Iowa to be pheasant dogs and duck dogs, and they're doing great. And so she's produced some really, really nice dogs over the last couple of years.
0: That's awesome. So she's only had two letters?
1: Yeah, we only bred her twice. Man,
0: that's really neat. <laughs> That's
1: really, yeah. I mean, she was always, she was always running hunt tests and trials, and we didn't breed her, you know, we didn't breed her every cycle. And, you know, she's at that age now where I'm not sure I want to breed her again. She, she owes me nothing. And I don't, you know, it seems like her two breedings have both had little complications where she's had C sections and, you know, artificial inseminations. And man, we didn't. I think we lost money on her last litter. Um, but we, we gained a really, really good pup in Kenny, and that's why we bred her one more time because we wanted a pup out of her and we wanted a male and we wanted a yellow pup. And the first, you know, the first puppy born was Kenny, little yellow male, it was the only yellow pup in that last litter. So he's out of hex, who is killing it in all age. Um, he's qualified for the last two national field trials. And made it to the sixth series last year. And gosh, I think he's only two points away from his AFC. He's got his FC. His owner has been running him when he can run him. Um, he needs two more points. They'd be AFC, FC, heck. And so that's pretty cool um, that we have a puppy out of him. But, you know, good things happening here. Having lots of fun and dogs doing good work, man.
2: That's a good summer.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Not bad now for the global to- pandemic. Yeah, exactly, man. I mean, it's been crazy, but we've been doing what we do, and um, got an SRS Super Retriever Series coming up, not this weekend, but the following weekend, September 11th to the 13th. Excited about that, hosting that event here. Um, Been doing a lot of work to get ready for that, but um, that's coming up. We got three dogs running in that, and we got a full 80 dogs in the the event.
0: Who, Who are you running?
1: I'm running Nash. Man, he has been really, really solid. He's run two this year, this season, and he has been – he's not made it to the finals. He made it to semifinals, the last two events. He's been six, seven, eight points away from the finals every event. And so he's right there on the cusp of uh, breaking through and, you know, making his mark and qualifying for the crown excited about him we've got i'm I'm running old gracie you know she's older but she's doing her best work ever right now Nice. she's slowed down she's methodical when i blow a whistle she stops and she goes exactly where i tell her to go and so easy to handle dog. i think even kevin could handle gracie
0: let's not Um, get crazy here big fella
1: yeah i'm telling you man she's in good place right now so she's running uh, and then we're going to run our new dog, Fanny. Excited about her debut in the SRS. She's only three years old. She's qualified all age already. She she won a 48-dog queue, I don't know, six or seven months ago. Um, really talented young yellow female. And she had absolutely no hunt test training the first two years of her life. And we got her, and... She's run gosh, what she run? She's run five finish tests and passed all of them with ease. And she she ran her first master test this past weekend down at, in Sylvania and passed it very easily. So we're hoping by gosh, you know, in the next four or five months that she's gonna be an HRCH, a master hunter, and qualified all age. So she'll have titles on all three major venues. And we're running some SRSs now. Uh, we got to sign up for this one that we're hosting. And then actually we're going to Union City, Tennessee, two weeks after my SRS and running one up there. And she's going to run up there. And I think she can win one, brother.
0: I got to experience the Fanny.
2: Fanny, she's a sweetie.
0: By the way, in Ireland,
2: I was going to say, I feel like who named Fanny?
0: In Ireland, the word Fanny... Is Google it? It's the c word. Okay. I mean, I didn't say it. I just said the first letter, Kevin. Crappy. No, not crappy. So and so, if you were being a real fanny, they would call you a fanny. And I'm like, "Mm, in America, that doesn't really mean anything. So what does it mean? And then they said, I'm like, ooh, that's not very nice.
2: No,
1: that's that's not fanny. She is a sweetie. She has a little bit of a – her main issue is that she does not like to travel in the trailer all weekend. Or, you know, we went to Pennsylvania, and she is a nervous little Nelly in the trailer. And she kind of bites and licks on her legs and causes little sores to pop up, and she just doesn't like it. So, Fanny rides in the the pickup with me every day. Uh, We leave the truck running, and she's in the air, and just – She's a, I mean, a spectacular dog. I think she's as good as any dog running the SRS at my place next weekend in the field trial portion of it. Um, That's awesome. Really a nice dog, easy to run, goes where you tell her to go.
0: Now, who who's the big swingers that are coming to the event?
1: Oh, we got all the big swingers
0: are coming. Um, <laughs> Steven Durance will be there.
1: He is the SRS master. He's the the brain, the thinker. He knows what he's doing. He knows how to handle it. SRS is so much of a thinking man's game. You know, it's all about coming up with a way to get the best score. And it's not just send your dog and pick up the mark. It's knowing when to handle, uh, knowing when to let him roll. And Steven is one of the best. A good man, good friend, does a great job with his dogs. He's running four or five dogs um lee howard will be here with his crew of dogs that are always up there doing really really good work he's got several that are already qualified for the crown he's trying to get a couple more qualified for the crown clark Kennington will be here with his dogs and you know clark's done great things in the srs with stroker and several of those dogs that he'll be running here they'll be right there in it Scott Greer from Tennessee will be here. He's been back in the SRS game. He's got a really good crew of dogs that he's been running all over the country in the SRS. He'll be here. It's not going to be easy one, that's for sure. But we've got those three dogs that I'm running, but really cool. I've got a client running his dog, uh, Ryder. will be running with Jeremy. Really nice. He's a six-year-old chocolate male. We've been training since he was a pup, um, doing really cool things now, and I wish I was running it. Um, sidebar. Really
0: good. Old Ryder is the daddy to Sam's puppies. Lone yeah, dog puppies, yeah, Ryder. But, yeah.
1: Uh, also, uh, another sidebar to that sidebar, <laughs> Ryder passed the Master Test in Jacksonville this weekend, uh, as well as his daughter, Echo. Oh, and cool. And so Echo, yeah, Echo is an up-and-coming uh, SRS dog that we're training for SRSs and She's also going to be running qualifiers this year with Kenny and and Ryder and Gracie and Eka and Easy and you know we got a a big crew with Fanny. We're going to try to get her QA two title this year. So we got we've got about seven dogs running Qs this year, um, and Ryder will be one of those. And and Jeremy's going to run them. Okay. Um, yeah, it's really cool to see dogs you trained and and owners you've trained. You know, getting out there and doing the deal and doing the job. And um, he's going to run Rider and SRS and the amateur, which is not going to be easy. There's some really good amateur dogs running at my event. A young guy named Carson, uh, he's got a really good dog that he's running that's qualified all age. And a master hunter is going to be running the test. And a couple of Steven's clients are going to run their dogs that have already won SRSs. And so, Going to be pretty tough, but he's running. Uh, Ryder and Matt Dubnik is first on the waiting list, so one more scratch, and Young Burton, who is also a Gracie pup from our first litter, will be running SRS two. I may be running him, or Matt maybe. We're not really sure on that. We're going to decide that by Friday this week. Good deal. Um, so yeah, really cool stuff. It's 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 been really exciting seeing. Puppies that you bred, you know, doing good. You know, mamas and, and daddies that, that you train and, and bred and, you know, getting a job done in the work. It's not just, you know, it's not just Buck doing the work. We know Buck can do the work. It's not just Gracie, but it's, you know, they're puppies. Yeah. Not just Ryder, but Ryder's puppies doing the work and getting the job done.
0: It's kind of like uh, the Lion King with the circle of life, Blaine. That's really what Hudson River Retrievers is all about. It's the circle of life. Exactly. Yeah. You know, In your Mufasa, let's get real. No, I he mean, died. We- was too sad. Well, Simba. Dude, all right. Now, all can you decide? I'm sorry to take that sidebar, sidebar, sidebar with the Lion King reference. But the other thing that I've gone to watch is the development of your pond. Can you explain the pond that you
2: built and how bad to the bone it is?
1: It is
0: going to change
1: lives here at Hudson River Street.
2: <laughs> All right. Well, I haven't heard, so, so hit me. Uh, All right. I need another beer. beer. Uh, Blaine, take take over your show. Keep
0: talking about your pond, and I'll be back with a beer for Kevin and I.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, we had a, a really cool little pond, a spring-fed pond, and... Adjacent to that pond was a a dove field, about five acres. And we took that five acres and brought thousands of dollars worth of equipment in and built a big tech pond. Really? Right. Right next to the other pond. And so the SRS event will be the first event using it. Pretty cool there, but really, really, really nice water. Anything you want to do whether it be all age dogs in the field draw game or hunt test dogs or just hunting dogs you can do it all right there in one spot we can run from one place and run two or three land setups and two or three water setups from different ponds and get big swims small swims everything you want to do with a a, a competition dog or a hunting dog you can get done from one spot so it's It's pretty exciting to have that on our ground. We have, a, I guess, about a 45, 50-second commute every day to work to get to that area. Yeah, I mean, we fill our truck up with diesel one time a month, and we're good. And, you know, going to work and have everything we need right here, man. It's pretty fun.
2: Man, that's pretty awesome. Are you, uh, how deep of a pond are we talking? Deep enough to stock it with? Any sort of fish?
1: The older pond was already stocked with bass and brim that we had caught locally and brought over there, and they have made their way to the new pond uh, through the pipe. We haven't stocked the new pond with any new fish, but and we haven't even fished the new pond yet. Yep. Um, but I like, to, I like to make a little whiskey drink in the evenings and go down in the pond and throw a fly rod and see what kind of bass we can catch on the popper. I don't
2: know. Uh, that good, sounds good.
1: Yeah, yeah,
2: fun stuff. I don't want to interrupt too much here, although I do want to kind of get into dove hunting. I hope you did some some of that action soon, but I do want to point out that Bob did come back in the room with only one drink. So there's that. Selfish. Yeah. I noticed he had three quarters of one. He's milking it. It's like he's a child. Oh, my God. Anyways. Blaine, uh that sounds really cool. And uh it sounds like with a little bit more room, uh the hopefully the fish grow a little bit bigger and uh can make some fish babies and have a little good time and talking about his new pond.
0: Yeah, I know. All um, right, I and I stepped in or I stepped out, now I'm back, and I
2: heard dove season. We said it used to be a five-acre dove field, but was built into like the most badass tech pond in the world. Now I want to ask We don't have dove season up here. Yep. Too many liberals in New York. Okay. Do we? (laughs) (laughs) True or false. Did dove open for you guys too?
1: Yeah, dove open Saturday noon. Um, We're not going to hunt here. We've got a dove field planted in millet that I just cut yesterday.
2: And then we have millet
1: planted all around New Pond that has been cut yesterday as well. And so we're gonna host a dove unlimited youth dove hunt Monday Labor Day at seven o'clock. Can be a fun time with the kids and their dads. You know, just shooting at birds, having a good time around the pond, around the uh, the upper dove field on the power line. Uh, looks good. We got a lot of birds in there right now, and so hopefully it's gonna be a good a good time for those young boys and girls next Monday.
0: Good deal. Blaine, I'd like to ask, you know, me and you and Oliver Berman from Foundation Retrievers, who is too chicken to be on the podcast. Shout out, Oliver. Recently an American citizen. Congratulations to you. Nice. That's right. Yep. We are on a little group chat, if you will, that does video sending back and forth and and whatnot. It's called Marco Polo. Old people Snapchat, basically. And the two of these guys are developing their dove fields. For the novice dove field planter, give them a little bit about the pterodactyl's recipe for success come dove season in planting and harvesting for doves.
1: Man, it's all predicated around the good Lord providing rain and sunny days and, you know, good growth. We planted millet and... Also, sorghum. Sorghum is a, you know, a, a much bigger-headed grain. We cut all of it yesterday, and it looks good. There's plenty of seed on the ground. Doves are a migratory bird, and they move with the uh, weather almost as much as ducks do, or more. Very, very, very... Uh, they need the right weather. You get a, a big rainstorm or a big wind or a big cold front, and those doves move out. So we have plenty of seeds, but it's all about, you know, it's all about good seeds and dirt contact early on in planting. We do a lot of spraying of Roundup to try to kill the weeds and the Johnson grass and, and the, you know, different things. But we had, we had a little bit of outbreak of pigweed and Johnson grass this year. The only good thing about that is they have a lot of seed on them too. So we just cut it with our dove field, with the with the millet and the sorghum, and there's lots of seed on the ground. We're just looking for dove. Good deal, man. So we want to give those kids the opportunity to shoot dove. And I can't imagine living in a place where there's no dove hunting.
2: That's great because it brings me to, as you're talking, and I'm thinking how I didn't get invited to the SRS weekend that you're hosting. It's cool. No big deal. And then, now you're having, you got a, a bunch of dove things happening, and we don't get to do it up here. Didn't get the invite for that. Striper fishing, didn't get the invite for that. Well, it's funny, Blaine. I got the invite. Kevin didn't. Oh, damn, so that hurts even more. He can, he can suck it. All right. Well, either way, just, uh, <laughs> I guess I'm just grateful that you allowed us on our on your show tonight.
1: Yeah, I mean, welcome to the show. <laughs> um, you're, you're also welcome to go dove hunting. Kevin, if you got a dog in the SRS. You can get on the waiting list and, and maybe get in. You know, it's, it's all up for the grass, buddy.
0: Oh, I love it. The world is his oyster. Love it. And he just wants to shuck it. See, that could be a Lone duck t-shirt. That's a new, <laughs> new Lone duck t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right. Let's segue here. Blaine, go ahead. You got a segue. This is your show.
1: Segue. Well, what are we going to talk about? Let's talk about dog training.
0: All right, man. Did want to talk about collar conditioning. Are we, we going to jump into that? We've had a lot of questions come in about collar conditioning dogs and the approach and and the way we do it. So I, I want to almost play a little shot for shot with you. And, you know, just like we've done in the past. So I would say take it away. Collar conditioning dog. When you get a dog in, how do you introduce
2: it to the collar and teach it?
1: Well, we we first teach them sit and hear and the basic commands with treats. We want them to know what we're asking them to do before we put the collar in. We're very, very liberal with the use of the collar. They've got to know what we're asking them to do. You know, for instance, sit is usually the first thing we teach. And we teach it with a clicker and the treat first. And then we go into the, you know, the stick and the uh, pinch collar on sit, and then we add the collar to it. And so, you know, if we can teach them a known command with the collar, it's going to be a lot less obtrusive to that dog. Um, We usually teach sit first um, with the collar, um, and it's not a lot of collar. Again, we use the Dogtra Edge RT, and you know, depending on the dog, uh, the, obviously the the levels of stimulation can be different. But you know, we use what we need to use. And so, if, a, if we got a rambunctious young dog that can handle a lot of pressure, then after they've learned sit with the treats and the stick, then we're going to use the collar and we're going to teach a known command. You know, it's always something that's already known. They know that sit means sit, and we're going to have them on check cord and, you know, a prong collar and, you know, have a healing stick in our hand. Uh, but we're going to introduce the collar alongside of all those things. All
0: right. So, so we'll slow you down for a second. All right. So are you using Nick? Are you using continuous? Do you dial it up if they aren't complying? Are they out in front of you? Are they at heel? If you are teaching, sit first then what do you expect for their leash manners like try and walk it through the average dog who yes you've taught them sit with treats and clicker and the stick and whatever like things are looking good they understand these things but it, it, if you had to paint a picture of the average dog not the one who gets it but the one who kind of doesn't get it what does that look like bud
1: well you know like you said they understand the uh, the treats they're going to sit when you give them a treat. And so we're going to use a continuous, uh, simulation with a collar. And we're going to say sit, simultaneously give the pressure with the collar. And when those little butts hit the ground, we're going to let them off. And so they're going to know that, you know, to beat the collar pressure, we want them to have a trained response to the collar pressure that when we say sit, they put their butt on the ground. And the moment they do, the, the collar pressure goes away. So it's always going to be continuous because we want it to, you know, to last until they sit down. If it takes a, a one, two, or six, that's up to the dog. But we're going to we're gonna jack it up as much as we need it to to get the response that we're looking for. Um, we know they they know what they're supposed to do, and we want them to be able to turn off the pressure from the collar.
0: Okay. So I do it mildly differently for the first command introducing the collar. I, I do hear first. Right, wrong, or indifferent, when we get a dog in training, I need them to come when they're called. And I find that the here command is very controllable. You know, I got old Jimmy holding the dog. I got a check cord on him. I can call him to me. And they like me. I've built rapport with the dog. Uh, we've done a little bit of obedience and, and whatnot with treats like plain saying. So they have a general understanding of walking nice on a leash, general understanding of sitting, general understanding of coming when they're called, but they've only known a check cord until they are trustworthy and collar conditioned. So I do it with, I, I do here first. And that way we can get into some more fun stuff and get get the other things rolling while I teach the other stuff. and Maybe, Blaine, you could give me pros and cons to me doing it that way.
1: Oh, we do sit first because it's the first thing we teach it off. Even as a puppy? It's very first thing. Um, we're going to teach here pretty quickly after that. But when we're, we're walking around on leads, I mean, we, we're not teaching here first. We're teaching sit. And so we do the collar conditioning to sit first, um, because we know that's something they know. And any time if you have a dog that's getting out of control, that's you know that's fundamentally doing the wrong thing in basic training, we always revert back to sit. And so that's the first thing that we collar condition to. Um, We do do here pretty soon after that. Because it's, it's a very simple thing. And it's like you said, it's a safety issue. And so we want the dog to come back when we say here. Um, and so we teach it with, you know, teach that with the collar as well. And it's, you know, it's the same thing. You know, we'll have someone either holding the dog back. And, uh, when I say here, we're putting collar simulation and releasing the, the pressure when they get back to me, or we, have them on long check cord and we wrap the check cord around a, a, a ball on the truck, the hitch, a post. We put it through a eye bolt, you know, lots of different things, but we say here and we put pressure on the dog with the collar and we expect them to come back. And when the, the moment they come back, the pressure goes away. And so that's why it's a continuous stimulation. Uh, so the dog understands the moment they come back, it goes away. And so they, at that point, they want to be with you.
0: Agreed. So now let's paint the picture of the dog who does it wrong. Um, I'll, I'll do my best to paint the difficult situation. Okay. So I got Jimmy or like you said, a bumper. Like I've got, I don't uh, They're like, you know, Me and Blaine get stuck all the time with our trucks and trailers and you got that front little U-shaped thingy welded to the front end uh, of your bumper and I will loop a check cord through it and I'll snug the dog right up to my bumper and I will walk you know, 15 feet, however long my check cord is, away from the dog and they can't come to me because I got tension on the leash and they're snug to my bumper or Jimmy's holding them. And I will do continuous e-collar pressure with the command. Sometimes they freeze and they don't move and they just eat the collar pressure. Sometimes they flare away and try and get away and run away from me. And then other times they fly right to you. The key for me, and I'm sure Blaine will agree, is you cannot turn the pressure off until they're with you. So if they squeal, if they try and run away, if they stand still, the collar pressure cannot turn off. The only way the collar pressure is turned off is when they get to you. And same with sit. The collar pressure cannot be turned off until they sit. So it's our job as a trainer... To get them to do it so that they can correlate the stimulation with the command, with the success of turning the pressure off and and succeeding. So, uncomfortable, comfortable, and praise.
1: Yeah, exactly. Do what we ask you to do. The the collar pressure turns off and they're rewarded. You know, either with treats or with pets on the head. But the key is they comply with the command. Right. And so if it's whether it's here, or sit, or heal, you know, you do what I ask you to do when I ask you to do it. And when you do that, the pressure goes away. And a smart dog will learn that pretty quick. Absolutely. Now, there's stu- stubborn dogs and they're going to bolt when you're teaching here and they're going to run up under the truck or they're going to run to the kennel or they're going to run to the trailer and you know at that point you've got to be stern enough not to you know back down on it but to get them to you and you know, that, that's, that's why the use of the check cord and this you know part of training is so important because I don't want them getting away they have to learn that You know, sometimes a dog wants to do something they think is going to be easier and get out of the, get out of work. They have to realize that that's worse than doing what I'm asking them to do. And so Evan Graham with SmartWorks talked about debolting, uh, a lot and has a whole segment in his video, you know, program about debolting a dog. And so I'll do it in the kennels. Well, you know, we'll walk down the kennels and you know say here, and we'll put pressure on them and keep a door open to their kennel so that they have the opportunity to run into the kennel and to you know try to escape the pressure. But they have to know that escaping the pressure and escaping the work that we're asking them to do is worse than doing what I am asking you to do. So you might as well to me. And so you can't let off, you can't, you know, well, my dog's making funny noises and squalling and barking or crying or, you know, bugging out. It's okay. Your dog's going to be fine. You've got to get it to do what you're asking to do because then they will realize that when I comply to the command, pressure goes away. Exactly. And it's the same everything from that, you know, that point forward you know, through ear pitch and through collar fetch and through stick fetch, and, you know, walking fetch and force to pile. You know, the pressure goes away when they do what you ask them to do. And so it's just a, it's a strong building block for the rest of their lives. And so if, if I can get a dog to come to here with the pressure, then I'll probably be able to get them to go to the back pile and force the pile. Because exactly. they understand that when I do what he asked me to do, the pressure goes
0: away. Now, here's one of the major things that I see people do wrong. All right. We've got a dog. He's squealing. And I'm not even talking. We're not even on a high level. We know what this thing feels like. It's not that bad. But this dog is squealing and can't figure it out. So they turn the pressure off and they are rethinking, "Well, well, maybe my dog's too soft or Maybe I didn't do it right or, or they're questioning themselves and so they turn the pressure off and they try again and the dog squeals or the dog runs away and try, you know, is pulling on the jet cord and, and running you know, 360 around them like a, a horse in an, a, an arena and there, there's all this wildness going on and the dog is just trying to get away from the pressure versus doing the right thing. What do you do? Now, here's my thing. Let's think about this, and I'm I'm pontificating. This is the second time on the podcast we said the word pontificating. I love I don't know it. how
2: many episodes we've had, but
0: seventy three, four, twice pontificating happened. I'm pontificating. I might be using it wrong. I don't care. I'm saying okay. it. If we're teaching the dog how to turn pressure off, and the correct way to turn pressure off is to either sit. Or come when they're called. <laughs> Kevin just farted and I guarantee it was loud enough to be on the on the show. That's awesome. Anyways, we're not editing that out. That's fully in there. If I, I just lost train of thought. If we are teaching them to turn pressure off by complying with a command and when they don't comply because they squeal or are running around in a circle or standing still or bolting for their kennel or whatever weirdness happens and you turn the pressure off, what did they just learn? They just learned that by doing that, squealing, running away, doing a circle, that's what turns the pressure off. So guess what you're going to do next time? They're going to run away. They're going to squeal. And the more they succeed at Turning the pressure off by not complying, by doing those negative behaviors, they're going to even be even quicker to do those negative behaviors. So it's our job as trainers to help them be successful. How do I get that dog to not run away? How do I get that dog to not stand still? How do I get that dog? So one thing I do blame is... Uh, again, this is why I do here first and maybe this is why you do sit first because it's such a known command and it's kind of it's the easier of them all. But this is why I do here first because the only good place is to be with me. So if they stand still, yeah. if they stand still, I turn the pressure up and I can reel them in. So I can take that leash and I can wrap it around my arm and I can just get them to me or if they want to run a circle like a bucking bronco, okay? And then I can work them closer to me with the check cord. And then all of a sudden they get to me and I make it like they won the Super Bowl. And all of a sudden, yeah. after five times, six times, seven times, all of a sudden they're hauling butt to me. But I can't give in. I can't, I personally can't be too soft or nervous about this situation because they're acting negatively. I've got to overcome it and say, how do I make that dog successful? How do I reward them enough? to make it worth it to get to me quickly to turn that pressure off. And then all of a sudden you fight through that weirdness difficulty and, and it's just the light bulb goes off and they're, they're pulling to get to you. They're, they're doing everything in their power to turn that pressure off before you even start. So I want to, I want to jump in. Kevin wants to jump in. I I have a, this is his show now.
2: Damn right it is. So I I have (laughs) a, I have a, um, question. No, well, like a like a scenario, right? So like I'm new, I've never done this before. I'm listening to the Lone Duck's Gun Chronicles. Definitely giving us a 5-star review. That's really cool. Thank you. And I'm doing this with my first dog. In my head, if I turn up the collar, the dog will just go faster as opposed to taking the time and being patient and having like a low stimuli like a low continuous and have a low burn. So can, can you explain to me why you wouldn't want to just crank it all the way up to 120 and, you know, rip the dog. You found what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to think like if I'm listening and I've never done this before and I want to do this with my dog, it would make sense that they, I, if they're going to be the bucking Bronco and whatever, I'll just do it once and get it over with and really like nail them with the collar as opposed to just teach them. The pressure on, pressure off. You know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, I get what you're saying. That's what the long line's for. That's what the check cord's for. We don't want to exasperate them with too much pressure with the collar. We'll put the pressure on them. It's already getting the response that, you know, seems to be negative if they're doing what you're saying. You know, they're spinning around, they're running back to the kennel, but I'm going to put the same amount of pressure on them and then pull them towards me if I need to. Um, and show them that, like Bob said, the safest place is right by my side. Um, you be by my side and sit your butt down. And that is where you want to be. Um, but I don't want to get too crazy with the collar too quick. Let's not be impatient. They're puppies. Um, they don't know what they're doing yet. And so they they figure if I go hide in the kennel, or if I go up underneath the truck or I've had dogs try to jump in the trailer, you know, I'm going to put that. I'm going to keep that continuous stimulation on them and we're going to pull them back to us with check cord and, you know, help them to have success. Right. We don't want everything to be trouble and negative in their life. Exactly. And so if I can help them, it's going to help with my trust factor with the dog. And so I'm going to use that, that, that check cord and i will mention this. It's not a sponsor to the, the podcast, but I've got a good buddy named Elliot who owns a company called Handler's Choice and he's making leashes and slip leads and whistle lanyards and duck call lanyards and check cords um, out of a really cool material um, that's you know, that doesn't soak up water and smell bad and it doesn't get, you know, like a, like a rope gets with the water and, and and starts to sink. But, um, we use all of his gear, Handler's Choice. You can find him on Instagram, Facebook.
0: Um, all <laughs> you really are media. giving him a full blown shout out. I love it. He's a I'm great dude. He's a great he dude. He
1: is. He's a good guy. He'll be here at the Super Retriever Series. Awesome. Um, he got the Oh, Yeah. I mean, Loan Duck got the invite, but they're in New York.
0: Well, and he so, also told me I had to pay an exorbitant amount of money, and I told him to suck it.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, uh, there's no free rides here. He's got to turn off the pressure. That's right. And the, pre- the pressure is cash. <laughs> and so, you know, give me the cash, and the pressure goes away. All right, uh, so go on with uh, your
0: handler's choice. What are you talking about? I got yeah. no idea where you're going with this.
1: No, I'm just saying, you know, use your tools don't just let a dog run loose the collar on it and you're pressing buttons. Right. You know, use, use the tool to show the dog the correct way to respond to the pressure. If we are just going to put a collar on a dog and press buttons, we need the, uh, the the button pressing machine to be out of your hands. We have to be fair to the dog. And that's, If it takes, you know, pulling on a long line, pulling on the check cord, whatever you want to call it, but we want the dog to come back to us and realize that that's where you want to be. If you get by my side and you sit down, the pressure goes away. Now,
0: let's slow down for a second because as you're saying this, all, all this, I'm thinking to my head as a listener and trying to put myself in their shoes of never have do, been never done this before right so they've got a dog and it's going to be the day one of collar work and i know that you said sit first for you i do here first but it really doesn't matter for the next little portion of this that i want to talk about i start that collar off at zero or one for my uh, the edge rt starts at a one low the 1900s, which we promote all the time, you know, we started off at like a five to a 10. And at those levels, the dogs can't really feel it. It's very, 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 very low. And then I start scaling it up and I start scaling it up and I start scaling it up until I can see the dog is starting to feel it. And then, and you, you can see it, You, you know, your dog You can see the dogs start to feel this thing that they've never really felt before. And even though they know the command, it's starting to add something new. And so we're slowly scaling it up. So let's just take the edge RT, for example. I'm going to start at a one low, one medium, one high. And at that one high, I bet you most dogs are starting to sort of feel it. And some dogs are sensitive. So that might be their, that might be theirs. That's their max. Other dogs, it's like, okay, all right, this is a little weird. Now we go to a two. Now we go to two medium, two high. Now we go to three, three medium, three high. Now it's like, okay, something's up here and I'm feeling it and I'm reacting. And all I'm trying to do when I'm collar conditioning, my biggest thing, Blaine, I say least amount of pressure to get the desired response. That's our goal. When I say that, that's like my general rule of thumb for everybody. But I also want that dog to learn how to feel uncomfortable. So feel more, but realize that it's not a bad thing. And we can we can succeed through that difficulty and that we can work through difficulty. So I'm going to scale it up and then I'm going to scale back down. And I'm going to give them a couple where it's scale back down. I'm going to scale it back up and then I'm going to scale back down. And I'm going to... Work them through these scenarios and these different levels on the collar, where it's like, ooh, that's a little hot, and then the next one's a little bit lower, and they're like, okay, okay, I'm back, I'm back, and then ooh, okay, it's it's a little harder, a little harder, a little harder, okay, but I'm getting praise and I'm working through it, and so you're teaching the dog to be comfortable. With different levels, you're you're finding your dog's normal working level on the collar. So I can find out that that dog's threshold, if you will, is between the two and the four range. And that four is kind of toasty for them. And that two is very comfortable and they can methodically work through it and figure things out without being anxious about it. And so we want to, when we're introducing the collar, we want to start at very, 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 very low and work up until we start seeing uh, uh, that they're feeling it, and we're seeing a change in behavior, and we're seeing physically that they're starting to feel it. Um, so that that's one sec- little portion I want to mention. Now, I did get a question, and I'm going to touch on it really, really quickly. This dude sent me a message, and he's like, man, I don't know what to do. Every time I do, the, he's forcing the dog to hear. And the dog will sit there and scratch at the collar. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Okay. What would you do?
1: I, I don't want to give you the the blanket response. It depends on the dog, but
0: ninety percent.
1: Yeah, I mean it depends on the dog. If if they're sitting there and they're scratching on the collar and they're not moving, then I'm going to make them move. Agreed. And and that's the leash. You know, I'm going to pull them towards me look, move your butt don't just sit there. it's not going away but I'm also not gonna release them from the pressure just because they seem indecisive
0: right so, so here's my I, thought. sorry to interrupt you so here's my thought. Yeah. I think dogs are smarter than we sometimes give them credit for and if that oh, dog absolutely. If, that, if that dog scratches at the collar and you're like, oh I I bet you, Some people will have turned the pressure off because it's like, oh, he has to itch. So we'll turn the pressure off. And when he's done scratching the itch, we'll do it again. And so all of a sudden, now, if he feels that little tickle, he's going to scratch at it. That turns it off. And then it happens again. And he scratches at it and he turns it off. So that's how he turned the pressure off. That's that's scenario A. Sorry. All so, that's
1: happening now is is the dog is training you. Exactly. You're not training the dog anymore, and so who is in control of this situation? I am. Right. I've got the collar. I've got the leash. You're going to go where I want you to go.
2: So. And right. It's not going
1: to take a long time. It's it's a simple, and that's the big thing is people make this too drawn out too hard on them and the dog you get through it all the basics you know you're not trying to rush these things but you're not trying to continue on with the mundane right. we're getting through these things so that you can have fun and you can do the things that you want to do and you can retrieve ducks and and run and 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 do the things that you want to do but we can't gloss over you know, the fact that, well, this dog is scratching at his collar and now I'm I'm, I'm worried that I'm putting too much pressure on it. So I'm going to turn the pressure off when he's scratched at the collar. No, you get your butt back to me. So you know?
0: normally what I do in this situation, because it, uh, so this is the other thing I want to touch on is this is very common. So there are many dogs through the program that I've done where it's like, that level of stimulation is almost like an itch, and so it's not that bad. And so they'll sit there and scratch it and just take the heat, if you will, at like let's say a two. And they'll be like scratch, 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 scratch. And I'm pulling them on the leash, and I'm I, you want to get them moving. In like Blaine said, you want to pull them towards you and get that pressure off. What I do, right, wrong, or indifferent, is I turn the collar up. And I don't go crazy, but I turn that sucker up and I pull on the leash and I make it like where it's not scratch worthy anymore. It's, I got to get up and get out of here. And then they succeed by getting to you. And then you turn the pressure off and then you pet them. And then you love on them and give a little high pitch voice scratching. Uh, uh, not Well, I shouldn't have said scratching because then it might lead you to believe that it's okay if they scratch their neck. I think it's a stall. They're stalling. They can learn that they could stall. So I want to get their butt moving. I want to pull them towards me. I want to turn that pressure up and get their butt moving again. And then I can back back down and do it again. So I'm going to scale it up, get them moving, scale back down. If they start scratching in, I'm going to scale back up and then scale back down. And it'll pass within one session. They won't be doing that anymore. But if you just stay at the same level or you stop the stimulation, then they're going to learn, well, if I just scratch long enough and sit still long enough, he's going to turn it off.
1: Right. They're training you. Exactly. It's the same same thing I'm going to do. I'm going to turn it up and they're going to scratch more and then they're going to decide, okay, I'm either going to bolt or I'm going to come to daddy. Come to daddy. (laughs) the pressure goes away. You bolt, and it gets even more. They have to learn. I mean, it's it's for all of their life, they have to learn that it's easier to do what I've asked you to do than it is to avoid doing what I want you to do. And so dogs think sometimes, and they do this all throughout training, you're going to see this all the time, that if I try to escape the work, easier than doing the work we have to show them that doing the work is much easier than escaping the work whether that you know involves the stick or the collar or the long lead or you know whatever it takes they have to understand that you know just do what i ask you to do and that's easier comply with what i ask you to do and so it all, it all boils down to understanding how to turn off the pressure. And if it means coming to a heel, if it means sitting, if it means fetching, if it means, you know, getting up on the mo' marsh or the, or the boat, then do what I ask you to do. And that's much easier than avoiding the work. You'll see lazy dogs that want to avoid the work and they're going to try to scratch. They're going to try to you know, bolt, They're going to try to get under the truck and those lazy dogs have to learn as well that you, you do what I ask you to do. And then that's when the pressure goes away. You can never let the dog win. I, I, every day well, I hold get, on, hold I on. Started. I'm
0: with you. Say that one more time and then explain it because we want the dog to win. But the only way to oh. win is by complying.
1: So we're talking about non-compliant dogs.
0: Right, exactly.
1: And so we're talking about dogs that are trying to train us. And if they decide, well, if I scratch at my collar because you put on the pressure, if I shake my head and, you know, daddy stops doing it, then they win. Right. And they're, you know, they're getting away from the work because they're showing a a reaction that seems negative to the owner or the trainer. What I'm saying is, They're never going to beat me. They're never going to win. They're always going to do what I ask them to do. And if we have to take extra time, if we have to put more pressure or less pressure or pull them on the long lead, but they're not going to win. They have to see that this is the only way to do the job. And if it's as simple as the command is, you know, come to me or to sit, they have to do it. It's not, you know, it's not something they're going to ever beat me at. Um, you know, it's when we're throwing marks for dogs and they break and we, you know, whether your correction is a stick or a sit or a, you know, a a collar correction, it doesn't matter what it is, but they have to learn that they're not going to get what they want until they do it the way I want them to do. And that means to sit still. That means to, to come to me when I ask you to. And so, don't let them beat you right don't let them win
0: again one thing i want to jump back to and just re-establish so that if we grazed over it or you know glassed over it too quickly is we teach first and then we overlay with the collar so we've taught sit we've taught here Absolutely. we've taught all these things first and then we overlay with the collar so we don't just put the collar on get to work and figure it out it's they understand generally here they understand generally sit they understand generally walking decent on a leash they understand that they should be steady before we start getting on them with the collar like all these things are already being forced we're we're cultivating these yeah. behaviors before we use the collar so that when you stick the collar on the dog and you use the button they don't know what it means we've taught it we've taught them how to succeed we've shown them the commands and taught the commands and then we overlay it so exactly. i think that is one thing like listen i do i've done enough obedience dogs to shake a stick at and it it is not good when they're like, oh yeah, I've got an e-collar and boy, when he's on it, he's a totally different dog and he doesn't do anything wrong. Well, it's probably because you didn't teach him. And so he's afraid to do anything because he doesn't know when he's going to get a stimulation. I want the opposite. I want the dog to be excited when they see the e-collar because they know we're doing something awesome and Like it's like their work vest. It's like their work outfit. They know that we're about to, you know, go into the game and play the best game ever. It's not a negative. This is not a punishment tool. This is a teaching tool. And when it's taught properly, properly to the dog, they understand what it means. They understand how to succeed and and beat the pressure or get out of the pressure and be successful and earn our praise, earn a retrieve and win so that I, I, I want to hit that. And then another point I wanted to hit real quick, and I'm I'm mildly losing my train of thought right now while I'm talking, but I know, I'm sorry. But it was something to the effect of, shoot.
2: Blaine, are you going to allow this on your show?
1: Well, it's amateur hour tonight. It we're going to allow it tonight.
2: That's okay. I know. You shoot, it was wants. a really good
0: point. I'm sure. Eh, screw it. You can all tune in in another week. I don't know what my other point was. And if it comes back to me, I'll jump in on it. But it was something to the effect of like, this is not a punishment tool. This is not a turn it up. How high does your dial go? We're going to fix them. This is this is an opportunity to polish. This is a, we're, we're working on a, a beautiful table and we cut it and we trim it and we're, Sanding it down and sanding it down and sanding it down, and we're we're getting it to that fine grit where it's smooth. And this collar helps us go from the rough to the smooth. And then you have a tool that, when the dog's off leash, and you're oh, I remember what I was gonna say. Okay, I'm Woo! with it. Dang! Bob All right, sat up
2: in his chair. He almost Heck got out of his yeah. Chair. Let's go. Let's yeah. go. Let's go. It Everybody blood, is it's a
0: creature of blood. the path of least resistance. Okay. Right, Follow me. On. No, no, no. So, this has nothing to do
2: with the sanding. Say that this again.
0: Path of least resistance. So when you're looking at deer and deer walking through the woods and there's a log, they're going to either go around the log or jump the log or whatever the deal is. But whatever that path of least resistance is, if we as humans, are walking down a sidewalk and there's a road cone, we're not going to jump the road cone. We're going to go around the road cone. If a dog is has water in front of it and the fastest way of the mark is to run the land, it's going to take the path of least resistance. And so this collar or like the path of least resistance in the scenarios we've been talking about would be like, if I just get back to the truck or under the truck or back to my kennel, I'm going to get the pressure turned off they're going to try that first and so we need to make that path of least resistance less fun using the collar the best case scenario is to come to us then now we've created a new path of least resistance the path of least resistance is turn that pressure off by hauling butt to me complying complying quickly with the command is the new path of least resistance dogs are lazy humans are lazy everybody's lazy. They want to do the easiest way possible. And so if we teach that complying quickly means that no collar stimulation happens or very quick or light stimulation happens, then they're going to do that. So we want to create that path of least resistance and de-cheating. That would be another thing for another episode, but we're trying to create that if, if they go around the bank instead of the water, is not as comfortable as going through the water then that new path of least resistance is through the water. Does that make sense, Blaine?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: That's what I want to say. I I don't, I, I, I don't know how I got there from sanding sandpaper to that. I thought you were going to start going
2: through what kind of grit was best for a table and no, my bad, everybody, but I see what you mean though. It makes sense to me. It's it. They're, Trying to find the new and teach the new path of least resistance is always comply with what I'm asking for rather than doing what you want to do. Right.
0: And we have to teach that, right? We can't just throw them into a scenario and use the collar and expect them that to, to choose right. We have to show them first. And we have to show them and show them and show them. But having them be successful... And turning that collar off is the new path of least resistance. They're going to choose it. And if they don't, they're going to get a correction.
1: Well, and, and we have to let them, once we get through the collar conditioning phase and we go into, you know, more advanced aspects of basic training, we have to give the dog the opportunity to make a decision on their own. Yep. And, you know, if they make the, you know the right decision, nothing happens. They do it. They get a good boy. They come back. If they make the wrong decision, we show them the right way, and there's a correction. Right. And so you show them the right way, and then you give them the opportunity to make a good life choice. You can't always show them the right way. Once you show it to them, and you're convinced, and it goes from set to fetch to you know the angle entry into the you know the water bond the cheating single, whatever it is in life, you know, once you show them, then you've got to give them the opportunity to make a decision on their own. And when they make the right decision, just from one, the nationals, you know, if they make the wrong decision, you have to let them know that was the wrong decision, you know, do it this way, buddy. But you have to let them decide and show you that they understand what you're asking. If you always show the dog, you know, the way to go, And you always handle them or they always, you know, use the check cord. You know, the dog's not learning anything long term. But at first, you use those tools to show them the right way. But at some point, you've got to turn them loose and say, okay, where are you going to do? You know, where are you going to get in the water? Where are you going to get off, you know, out of the water? What are you going to do in this situation? I have to know what your decision-making process is. And look at it from a more psychological standpoint, and let the dog think on their own, and then I'm going to intervene and and show them the right way.
0: Couldn't agree more. All right, we we that was a really good discussion. We did, you know, you do sit first, I do hear first.
1: Well, sit's the right thing to do first.
0: All right, well, it's your show, so screw it.
1: Yeah. Whoa. Do you, I mean that's the first thing you ever teach a dog in obedience is sit, right? Yeah. So the reason I say teach sit with the collar first because that we're always going to revert back to the thing that you know the best. So I if a dog, it. so if you're walking to the holding blind with a dog and they get they get out of control walking on lead to the holding blind, what are you going to say? Sit sit we're always reverting back to the most known simplest command you know and so that's why i teach sit first with the collar Very it's good. the easiest thing you know it's the first thing that we're teaching is dogs running up to you you're going to put your hand out you're going to put a treat out there whatever you're going to do but you're always teaching sit first so that's always i just revert back to if, if there's a problem in the field whether it be obedience or whether it be work, or whether it be, you know, a, a, a qualifying mark, you know, whatever the problem in the field is, the correction is always going to be on sit. It's always going to be indirect pressure. It's always going to be reverting back to the simplest thing that you know to do when you get out of control. So that's why I start with sit first and collar conditioning.
0: Okay. I dig it. Yeah. And and yeah. I it's, like that. it's it,
1: it's the right thing. I mean, you're wrong, but, you know, it's okay. As a guest on my show, I'm going to allow for that mistake tonight and we'll talk about it, you know, next winter.
0: Very good. So, no, I do like it. It's a really good explanation of why to do that first. I always did it first just because, you know, the dogs we get in, man, don't listen and we need them to come when they're called. And so maybe it was my easy way out to have more control over them when they're in the airing yard or. You know, on a free run with the four wheeler or whatever, it's like if we can get here understood that it's non-negotiable to come when I call you, then we can move on with the other things. That was my rationale, but I like where your head's at, and then so I'll do that, and then I'll do here because I think here to me is a lifesaver. So yeah,
1: it's it's safety. It's safety. Absolutely, but the way I look at it is I'm not going to give that dog the opportunity when they're in my care to be at harm's way, you know, to know, have to know, to know here before it's, Ready. you know, it needs to be, you know, yeah. Oh, I mean, I'm not going to let that dog loose. Um, We're going to be way out of harm's way. If it does, you know, if we're in an airing yard, there's a fencing, you know, the dog can get away. And so I'm, I'm going to the extreme basic. To me, sit is the most basic of commands because they, that's what they do when they're beside you. Right. You know, if I've got them on lead, even if it's a long lead, when I say sit, you're typically right next to me at first. If I say here, you're not next to me. That's why I'm saying here. Right. So there's, you know, there's two steps between those. And so, yeah, it's just it's just basic. It's just, I think I think sit makes it more simplistic. Very it's good. more black and white, and you want everything to be as black and white as possible.
0: I'm with you. So you you do sit, then hear, then heal. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I yeah, heal would be next for me too. I'm generally again, and we don't need to get into it again on how I did it different than you, but. Being with me is a good thing. And so now when I've taught heel, we're working the leash and choke chains or wonder leads or whatever the tool we're using to teach to walk with me and not pull. Now, instead of giving that pop on the lead, I'm using the collar and not using the lead. I still have a lead on them just in case things get squirrely, but I still have the lead on them, but I'm going to give continuous pressure continuous stimulation when I change direction and they're not with me? Will you walk through how you do, you know, all right, you do sit, then you do hear, then you do heal. What does that heal work look like for you?
1: That's typically pretty easy if you start with sit and then hear. Agreed. And so, you know, if I teach a dog to sit, then in a training scenario, not just a social setting the dog's running loose in a training scenario if i'm walking on lead and i'm teaching sit i don't really necessarily need here yet right because they're always beside me i'm using the leash to control them they're right there beside me if they get out in front of me i'm going to give them a little pull on the leash or the you know the wonder lead or you know, whatever it is, I'm going to take sit because I want them to sit down so that we get back, you know, we're connected again. And then we're going to, you know, let them wander off a little bit. Now we're going to pull them and teach them here so that they, again, see that, you know, beside me is the right place to be. And so then I'm going to take and we're going to start walking on lead. And I love the wonder lead; It's a great lead. You know, a pinch collar is just as good of a tool. It doesn't matter what you use, but you want to use something that, to me, the, the best thing about the wonder lead and the pinch collar is, is that the dog makes the correction on their own. So if I'm walking on leash with the, the wonder lead or the pinch collar and the dog gets out in front of me, I don't have to change anything, you know, my grip on the rope or I don't have to pull them. I don't have to do anything. When they get out in front of me, they're going to put the correction on themselves using the device and so that's when I start teaching heels so as soon as they get out in front of me I don't have to pull on the on the wonderlead if they get out in front of me they're going to pull on it themselves and that thing's going to you know the lead, you know adapted to or designed to be right up underneath their ear you know in that sense of little spot and so if they get out in front of me they're going to pull that that rope and it's going to make the correction on their own right and the only way to you know to turn off the wonder lead or to turn off the prong collar, just like it is the collar, is to come back to me. And so it's you know it's simple. You just you're just adding the command heel to that point where they're making the correction on their own. I'm not going to necessarily let them get out in front of me and then pull on the on the wonder lead. You know they're going to do it themselves, and they're going to say, "Oh crap! If I get out in front of them, it hurts." You know I stay with them. It doesn't hurt. And so you're letting them again make the decision. What am I going to do? You know, I'm not making that decision for them. I'm not putting that correction on them. They're doing it themselves, to themselves. And I think it I think it just lasts it it lasts longer that way. It's a it's a more defining moment in the dog's life. They learn, wow, he didn't do anything to me. I did it to myself. If I stay by his side, it doesn't happen.
0: Yeah. Listen, I I just heard that. I listened to it. I don't know what to add. I think that that was a perfect explanation. So to me, the collar to like sort of wrap this collar conditioning thing up, the one thing I want to... There's several things I want to hit on and I want you to add to it. I want to dispel some myths. I want to right the wrongs that have been talked about collars. I think. The collar is the ultimate training tool. I think there are a lot of people in our industry that brag about we don't need e-collars. We don't use e-collars. That's fine. That's all well and good. But I promise you that we need to use less physical pressure. We need to use less verbal pressure. We need to use... We have another tool in the tool belt to... Teach. This is a teaching tool, not a punishment tool. Right? I'm going to say it again. This is a teaching tool, not a punishment tool. Can it be used for punishment? Sure. Jumping on a countertop, counter surfing. You want to whammy them, and so they don't eat your Christmas ham. Yup, I get it. They won't put their paws on there again if it's if it's like you know when we were kids and you were doing a. You know, balancing on a beam and if you touch the ground, it was liquid hot magma. Well, if you make that counter that your Christmas ham is on is liquid hot magma, they're gonna do it again. I get it, but it's not a punishment tool. This is a teaching tool. This is a device where we can easily communicate with the dog on leash, off-leash, wherever, what's right, wrong, or indifferent, and how to get them to be successful. What's another myth or thing that people feel bad about shocking their dog, Blaine, that that you would help dispel?
1: Well, you just said the word shocking my dog. We're not shocking the dog. We're correcting the dog for a command that it knows and understands already. We're not teaching with the collar. We're correcting a known command. And so that goes back to what I start with. I start with the base, most basic of commands that I know you know. We're saying sit, sit down. Do what I say to do. You know, the, the collar is not... It's almost like a Republican-Democrat conversation. Mm-hmm. You're not going to change people's minds, but the collar is not the bad guy. There's bad guys that use the collar And don't understand it, but the collar is not the problem. The gun is not the problem in the murders in the United States. It's the people that are handling the gun. And so, if the dog understands what you're trying to get it to do, and then you use the collar, that's not a problem. But if you have a dog that's just wild as hell and doing what it wants, and you decide, well, I'm going to start. You know, I, I hear it all the time. Well. You know, I thought my dog would come back to me when I said here because I would just, you know, I would burn it up. I would shock it when it get away from me. Okay, that, that's probably not the right way to do it. But, the, you know, the myth is that the collar is, is worse on the dog. Well, you know, you hear of Amish trainers. That, the old school is the Amish style. You know, they'll run out there to the in the field when the dog doesn't sit on the whistle. Well, what are they doing when they run out there? Well, they're not going out there and petting it or giving a treat. You know, they're beating that dog. They're, they're doing whatever they have to get that dog to do to sit down. And so everything that I've learned about dog training that, you know, the, the most important thing I've learned about dog training is that timing is of the utmost importance in correction. I can give a much more crisp and timely correction with a collar that anybody can in any other situation. And so if we're teaching a dog to run the blind and it won't sit when I blow the whistle and I've, you know, correctly collar conditioned that dog to sit with the, you know, with the collar and with the whistle, then when that dog does not sit on the blind, then within, you know, a half a second, I'm able to correct that dog and let it know that the problem we have right now is that you didn't sit. If I don't use the collar and I'm going to decide that I'm going to run out in the field and I'm going to, you know, jerk up on, this, you know, on his leash and, you know, whatever I have to do out in the field, if I have to put a boot in his ass, whatever it is, that's going to take longer than it is for me to stand at the line and press the button. Right. Hogs learn through very, very black and white conditions. They have to know exactly what you're asking them to do. And the timing is critical. And so there's no way anybody can say that they're going to be quicker with timing and they're going to get better corrections without a collar than with that, than someone that uses the collar. And, the, and that's my biggest thing is, you know, it's the timing of the correction. It's okay when you're right beside the dog, but that's just basic stuff. What about the advanced stuff? You know, how am I going to correct the dog for missing a piece of water at 200 yards? What, am I going to run out there and, you know, use a healing stick or a, a, a wonder lead or whatever I have to use to teach that dog to sit and get in that water in that spot? Or am I going to be able to instantaneously give the correction with the collar? At that moment, that dog misses that piece of water. So that I can show the dog that's where the problem was. I don't remember the exact number, but I've heard several, you know, very successful field trialers and people that are smarter than us with dogs say that a dog, you know, after about two seconds, they don't understand what the correction was for. Right. And so if I can use that collar and I can, you know, the, the, the intensity of the collar is irrelevant because it's different for every dog, you know, a a high one for this dog, Maybe all I need, but maybe this next dog is a six. You know, it just depends on the dog. It doesn't matter what the number is; it depends on what changes that dog's behavior. But I know that if I have that thing in my hand at all times when I'm teaching or training and running that dog, that I can instantaneously let that dog know when it made a mistake, and so then and then it can correlate that with oh. He wanted me to turn right. I turned left. Maybe I'll turn right next time when he gives me that hand signal. Right. And so it's, it's right then. And so timing, I guess, you know, that's the, the key, the key word in all of this, you know, the discussion we're having right now and why the collar is the, the best method for training a dog is timing. Because I can give the correction. And if you have a good collar, a dog trip, an edge RC, a 1900S, you know, doctor makes some great equipment. That when I know when I press the button, it's getting the you know I'm getting re- the result I need. Exactly. Every single time. And so timing is the is the key word in this.
0: Absolutely. All right, pterodactyl. We're in it about an hour and, hour and forty minutes. That's some big.
1: Man, this is too long. No, I gotta go to bed. I'm old.
0: No, you're good. You got this. We got another hour in us, don't you? <laughs> Whatever
1: it takes.
0: No, I'm teasing. You. So, all right, Blaine, everybody knows who you are already. You're the pterodactyl. You're the Hudson river retrievers, Boykin whisperer, Labrador retriever, master of everything. My man, my buddy, they can find you at Hudson river retrievers on Facebook, your website, on Instagram, you're the Boykin guy, and I just think it's at Boykin guy. At
1: Boykin guy.
0: Yep. you're on Marco Polo. <laughs> right. I don't. Know. That, that's for that's for special people. That's for spe- I'm in that group. Everybody, I'm special. Uh, yeah. Long story short, Blaine Tarnacki, man, it's been a pleasure. Uh, it's been way long overdue to have you on the show. I enjoyed it. I'm I'm glad you're you know, catching stripers and uh and, and that you're on the old are you still on keto? Are you a keto still guy?
1: Man, I'm ai I don't know. I don't know what keto is. I mean I understand the gist behind it, but I don't know if it's no carbs or low carbs or what. I'm, I'm on sure. about a yeah, I'm on a I try to keep myself under thirty carbs a day.
0: Well wow. I know that you're driving so, like Corona, Corona '97s or something, and Michelob Premier, Corona, Corona Premier. Yeah, Corona Premier. Look,
1: look here, I'm I'm at about 16 carbs today, and so I. <laughs>
2: What's well, the
1: baby? You know, no, no BS. I was. Look, I'm five foot ten and a half. If I'm lucky.
0: No, you're not lucky, dude. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, you're five nine and yeah. and negative. No, nah, I'm
1: five foot ten and a half. And so, <laughs>
0: what kind of shoes you got on? You got like high big heels? boots,
1: big ass, big shoes. And so, eight weeks ago, I weighed two hundred and thirty eight pounds. And so that's too fat for a five foot ten and a half inch man. Uh huh. so yeah. And so 30 carbs a day, you know, eight weeks later, I'm down 22 pounds and feeling good, eating good, eating a bunch of freaking meat and vegetables and proteins and, you know, staying away from the starches, the bread, the, the potatoes, those things. And um, life's good. You're inspirational. You know, yeah. Ultra. It's important write a book. Uh, you know, the, the, the Corona is 2.5 carbs. So, you know, there's some days that that's where you're going to get your carbs from. Yeah. And, you know, you're done. You go to bed.
0: I dig so, it, man. Well, you know,
1: anything anything brown is zero carb.
0: Liquor gets it done quicker, bud. And I, saying, I, think zero on, carbs, I think on that zero note, carbs. we just say thanks for tuning in. Click subscribe. Click five stars. Go to outfitters.com and buy yourself a hat. Thanks for tuning in to another episode. Blaine, the pterodactyl cacao, Tarnecki was on tonight. Hey, patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Outfitters is a community that we built to help you and your dog on your journey to next duck season. There's videos that don't hit YouTube. There's happy hours where we drink a couple beers and I answer your questions every other week. And by the way, if you join between now and September 1st, you're entered to win a hunt with me and Kevin and other Patreon members. So jump in, let's go, join the community. We appreciate it and we'll see you there.